Thank you for tuning in to Redefy's podcast. Um, I'm Liz Jones with Redefy, and today I have Danielle Kong. Yes. And we're talking about how non-Black people can be better allies to the Black community. So as a white person, obviously, I can't talk about this alone. <laughs> so um, to start, Danielle, do you just mind sharing a little bit of like who you are and your background? Um, yeah, so my name is Danielle Kong. Um, I'm 19. I just graduated last year in 2020 from Lincoln High School. Um, I love theater. I love to sing. Um, I like to paint a lot. I just love art, art in general. It's amazing. I have two cats, um, Wallace and Walnut, whom I love dearly. Um, I like to dance, even though I'm very bad at it. And, you know, I like to always, um, you know, kind of share what my opinion is on things. I'm very opinionated, very outspoken. That's just kind of who I am. <laughs> In the same way, I totally get that. That's awesome. <laughs> so to kind of sort of start the conversation, are you comfortable sharing any of what your, like some of your experience has been with racism as a Black woman? Oh, yeah, of course. So kind of some experiences and I've sort of shared these before um growing up you know in a predominantly like white town I went to a school with um you know majority of the class being white people um I was the darkest one um in my class and I was always bullied for it literally all of the time, um, whether it was because of my hair and it not being, you know, like silky straight and smooth and long. I was bullied for, you know, having dark skin because it was like, you know, oh, turn off the lights, Danny, where did you go? Like jokes like that, that aren't like as big of a deal now, but you know, as a little kid, it hurts your feelings a lot. Um, or it's like, I would just hear these kids saying all of these things all the time. Like, oh, um, yeah, I heard that she like lives in the ghetto and it makes sense, you know, cause she's black or I wore, um, you know, I wore braids to school one day and um, one of my, you know, white friends at the time had told me, my mom says that um, that's a ghetto hairstyle. And, you know, it was just things like that all the time, um, middle school. I had a good friend whose grandma um, told me that I was nothing like my kind um, and that I was very different from what she had expected going into all of this. And it's just, you know, things like that all of the time, just all of the time. And a lot of people don't understand that it very much is a real issue and that things like this happen every single day, today, yesterday, the day before that. And like, if you're not black, you're just oblivious to it. Because I mean, obviously people aren't saying these things to you. So, you know, you don't have to deal with any of it. Yeah, that it's heartbreaking to me to hear some of those stories. I'm so sorry. Um, and I do just want to point out here, I didn't say it in the beginning. Danielle is from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which is also where I'm from. So shout out Sioux Falls. Um, yes. The population, according to um, worldpopulationreview.com, um, just of that of Sioux Falls alone is about 6% African-American. So it's definitely, we're a very, very, very white 
city. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for sharing some of those experiences. Um, and then now I want to get into, so the Black Lives Matter movement, obviously May 2020, really with the tragic murder of George Floyd, it like researched um, and a lot of stuff started going on. So when that sort of started, you started seeing that in May and hearing about everything, like what were your initial thoughts? How were your feelings? Um, you know, at first I felt very, very overwhelmed with the entire thing. Um, it, you know, kind of broke my heart to see that happen um, as it did everyone's because, you know, that was completely cruel what those officers did to Mr. Floyd. And um, I just felt like I had a lot of pressure on me as um, this, like, you know, this Black woman who did theater and who's super outgoing and, like, who feels like I, I just felt like everybody put all this pressure on me to kind of like say 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 something about it I feel like so many people kept reaching out to me and like asking me you know how they could be like an ally or um you know asking me like what my thoughts were on the situation and for a long time there I was just kind of losing it because I was extremely frustrated with um you know, seeing the system being so cruel and horrible and everything that it is out in broad daylight and seeing how little so many people care about it. And then seeing how some people were, you know, almost overbearing about it. It's like they're putting on this huge, huge face of like to their, you know, to the public about how they're super active in um, politics and how they're super, super, you know, um, for equal rights and everything. And then the second the George Floyd nonsense died down, um, they have nothing else to say about it. And so it, the whole thing was just very, you know, hectic for me. And I just feel like I didn't have any time to heal with it. Um, and I was just kind of, I had no control over anything is what it felt like. Yeah, I'm sure that was very overwhelming. I haven't even thought about like that aspect of like all those people yeah. coming to you. Um, so then am I correct in saying that you were a part of organizing the Black Lives Matter March that then happened over the summer in Sioux Falls? Um, we didn't have a march. Oh. I organized the one that was on um, Minnesota Avenue. Okay. So can you talk to me a little bit about that? Like, oh, sort of like what made you decide to organize the protest? How do you think it went? Just kind of the gist of that. Um, well, I myself um, consider to be my, I consider myself to be a pacifist. I don't use, you know, violence for anything. I just feel like, you know, with, um, things that have happened in my childhood. Um, I just disagree with violence. I don't believe it, you know, I don't think it's always the solution to everything. So I wanted to um, set up my own, you know, um, protest, one that I would not allow any violence to break out at after, um, you know, the protests at the mall 
and the riot that broke out I wanted to show people like we can have a we can have a peaceful protest and things don't have to get out of hand we because you know if things get out of hand people don't listen to you they they just they won't especially here in Sioux Falls nobody nobody right. cares what you have to and say that's if you're where I'll interject them. here really quick for the listeners who aren't from yeah. Sioux Falls and who don't know what was going on there was a Black Lives Matter protest um before the one you organized that or the one Danielle organized um that ended up turning into a riot and they did um harm parts of the Sioux Falls mall and a couple areas so then yours was after that so sorry continue yeah yeah so that one was that was difficult because you know um the word spread very very quickly about the protest um I we didn't even have time to like really talk about it and plan it all that much before it caught wind and I was getting a text message um from the Sioux Falls Police Department asking me what was going on and you know going into this I was very much like okay well I am you know I have respect for a, a lot of the officers that I know on the force um on the Sioux Falls police for the for Sioux Falls Police Department and so I was I knew that they require a permit for a gathering of more than 25 people. So I went through and I got a permit, um, worked with them on that. And then we had our protests, which were, went really, really well. Hundreds of people showed up and I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting, you know, maybe just me and some of my friends and maybe a few other people, but I was not expecting it to us to like go all up and down the entire street the way we did. So that was amazing. Um, and I just, I don't know, I wanted to show people that things don't have to turn violent. Um, we just were hurting and we just really want somebody to listen to us. Um, I kind of wanted to prove everybody who had something negative to say wrong about Black Lives Matter protesters. I wanted to show them that we know how to protest without you know necessarily breaking glass and yeah having think, a huge debacle I think that's a very beautiful and a very empowering message and it was found that 93 percent of the Black Lives Matter protests that took place in 2020 were completely peaceful the entire time mm -hmm. I think that's great what you did that's really beautiful thank you thank you so here's where I want to shift more into the like how people can be allies, because I think obviously, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you see this a lot more than I do, there's a lot of performative activism that goes on. Yeah. Um, so what's your best kind of advice for an ally? Like what should allies be doing right now and saying or not be saying? You know, I, as far as allyship goes, I would definitely say that, you know, Take, really taking the time to listen to, you know, um, your Black um, peers, your Black friends, whether they're your neighbors, um, really taking the time to just hear what they have to say about what's going on um, with everything today. Hear what they have to say about what's gone on in their past. Really take the time to listen to the things that so many of us have just gone through. Um, because if you, if you can't listen to somebody who, you know, is, has been like 
in this state of oppression um, and they're trying to explain to you why it is so important that people start, you know, kind of opening their ears to change. Um, I don't know. It's just, it, if you can't make yourself uncomfortable and put yourself in that situation, it just shows that you, you yourself aren't really willing to change and that you yourself aren't willing to help, you know, push what we're all trying to fight for because it's not supposed to be a comfortable moment. Everybody's going to be uncomfortable about it. But if you're not willing to take the time to listen because you can't step outside of your comfort zone with it, then it just shows that like, you know, you can't, your activism, your wanting to help is not really, I don't know, there's no truth behind it. Mm -hmm. If someone were to hear that and then respond with something along the lines of, well, all lives matter, or well, my life matters too, or I'm white and I've gone through hardships and they just don't want to even be a part of the conversation. They don't want to call themselves an ally. Do you mm -hmm. even have anything to say to them? Or I do because um, I'm half white. Mm -hmm. um, so my mother is white as a white woman. My father was um, a Sudanese man. He um, was a, an immigrant. And um, I just, my siblings, they, for the most part, understand and they can see like the difference in how we're treated. Um, and the thing is, is that they have all experienced hardships with me. Are your siblings throughout our entire lives? Yes. So my, I have four older siblings. They are all white. And then I have three younger siblings who are black. So they're my half siblings, but you know, family. Right. So, um, you know, obviously all one family growing up in the same house, mm -hmm. we all had to go through a lot of things. We went through a lot of financial hardship. Um, you know, my mom was a single mom raising eight kids by herself. So there was a lot going into all of it. And they struggled a lot in life. But in the end, at the end of the day, they were always going to be seen on a higher pedestal than me and my younger siblings. And it just, it really sucked because it's like, I could see my siblings being treated so nicely, whether like when it was like when we went to a grocery store or something. And then I think back on so many things that just happened where I was so looked down upon by so many people and I still am day to day and I notice it um, within like my, um, you know, how I'm treated where, where how my, or versus how my siblings are treated. And um, there's a difference between going through, you know, kind of like a hardship in life, whether it's like a family member passing away, whether it's financial hardship, um, you know, dealing with stuff at school and racial oppression. And I had this conversation with my sister-in-law, um, who is um, my brother's wife. She is a white woman. She actually is from Russia. Okay. And, um, you know, there's a lot of like, a lot of socioeconomic um, oppression in that area. You're, when, when you're born poor, you stay poor. Yeah. And she was born, you know, in an or she was um, born in a bad household. 
um, taken to an orphanage, you know, malnourished, starved as a kid. Um, and then people treat you like dirt. So this might be similar to something you've already said, so you don't have to answer it again. But one of the questions I've written down here is what's something you think that um, white people just like need to understand or at least try to understand? I just, I feel like it's not even just, you know, white people in general. I think it's just, you know, the ones who like to put up this huge fight and say that white privilege isn't a thing and, you know, make the argument that oppression no longer exists and that we're all equal. I just, I really wish that they would just sit down and just look at the facts because though the people who brush it off, the people who say that it doesn't exist are the same people who won't look at the stats. They're the same people who won't take the time to listen to somebody like me, to take the time to listen like somebody to somebody like my one of my sisters, take the time to listen to somebody like, I don't know, um, Beyonce, <laughs> if she weren't, you know, Beyonce. Like, yeah. <laughs> they just, they won't take the time to listen to any of any of what we're saying. And that's why they don't understand because they they think oh they're just being dramatic everybody has it everybody has a hard life and then it's it sucks when it's like they're looking down at you and they can hear everything you're saying but they just completely refuse to listen yeah education is enlightenment and I think in situations like these correct me if I'm wrong but like the best way to get education is like going straight to the source and listening to people who have these experiences right um, or Google. The internet's a beautiful thing and you can read things exactly. by people who have these experiences. Exactly. <laughs> Go to a bookstore, order a book. It's so easy. Right. <laughs> so then same question, but so it might be the same answer, but slightly different. Um, so what about non-Black people of color? Like, is there something you think that they need to understand and listen to as well or like focus on? And maybe not like in general, but like, I don't know, some of them. With that, you know, it's pretty much just the same thing. Like, take the time to listen to people. And, you know, with that also, you know, is a whole nother can of worms because that, you know, there are so many other, well, we're not, we're not necessarily talking about like um, the enslavement of peoples and them being enslaved here in the United States. They definitely were treated, um, as lesser um that's how all of us were seen and you know I have friends from everywhere in the world and all different backgrounds and you know um some of my friends are you know of Hispanic backgrounds and you know they say they'll say things like the n-word and there is that whole um argument that only black people um should be able to say the n-word And then it's things like, well, there were so many white people who still do and still have or and have called, you know, other minorities, the N-word, like Muslims, um, they'd call people the sand N-word, Hispanics call them the N-word. And so it's things like I can't really explain oppression um, and go on about oppression 
to somebody else who is also oppressed, who is also experiencing that same oppression. I can't tell them not to say the N-word because, you know, they're all, they're being called the N-word, quite frankly. And it just, it sucks because they experience it in their own way. And then it's like, sometimes you see people arguing about who, it's like the oppression Olympics, you know, who's like more oppressed. And it just, I don't know. I wish that I could tell other people that I understand and that we could just set it down and walk away from it. But that's not really how it works because, you know, nobody really like listens to us. And I feel like people in general all have a hard time listening to each other. And as much as I wanna think that I'm listening, I know that I have the tendency of blocking things out that I don't wanna hear. And you know, that might come off as suckish to them. Um, and then there's indigenous peoples as well who are experiencing oppression. And I could not ever relate to any of the things that they've gone through. However, it's like, you know, I am also experiencing things. And so I just feel like with some of the conversations that I've had with certain people, at least in my area, I feel like everyone is very much pitted against each other. And a lot of like what I've, a lot of what I've seen. And it's not even just like, it's not black and white. It's just everyone is kind of refusing to listen in general and that's like why this is all such a big problem because nobody will listen to anybody yeah so would you say that part of the solution to the problem is just like listening to each other I feel like listening is definitely a huge huge thing but also like you know looking at the history of things seeing how things were in the past and like how it's affecting today mm -hmm. It's more than just, you know, like obviously listening, my, listening to my story, but it's doing your own research. It's kind of educating yourself about the things that have happened and being able to relate that to the present and seeing how we can learn from the mistakes back then, learn from the mistakes now and move on to better our future. Yeah. So talking about bettering the future, what do you think? everyone like people can be doing and you can say this is like black people other people of color white people like what do you think like kind of take this however you want but what should people be doing now to ensure that there's a better future I think that definitely um you know documenting the things that we have going on now uh obviously people are recording so much footage of like the riots we're seeing everything happening on the news right now with like the Capitol. Mm -hmm. um, I think documentation is a huge, huge thing. And it's, it's very, very important because you know, in the future, that's something that we'll have proof of happening. We'll be able to show people, hey, this, hap this actually happened. It's not gonna be something that you'll see in a movie clip. It's something that you'll see from that somebody had recorded in the street. And I think it's so important that we all make sure we understand what's going on 
and why it's happening, not necessarily, you know, just being like, oh yeah, there's some Black Lives Matter protests going on right now. Um, and then not, you know, leaving it at that, not even going anywhere neath beneath like the surface. I just feel like we should all be very much aware of what is happening, like, and where. And then we also need to be, you know, kind of holding these people accountable as it's happening. As these things happen, we need to know where it happened. We need to know who was involved and we need to know, um, you know, obviously like where those people are standing, whatever the situation is, you know, like with the Capitol, like where they're standing in their punishment, they broke into the Capitol. Now what's happening with that? You should know what's happening with that. And if people ignore the big things like that, like them, like, let's say none of them got arrested. Let's say they were all just able to walk out and then you just ignored something like that, but you want to keep on talking about how white privilege isn't, doesn't exist. And you're not seeing what's happening right in front of you. Yeah, I think a perfect example of white privilege is all of those white domestic terrorists being able to just be yes, let into the exactly. capital and steal things. That was so... Yeah so awful to see the footage of that it was just yeah and then people want to say that white privilege doesn't exist when they flew you know they flew the confederate flag at the capitol it's the first time the confederate flag has ever been inside the capitol building that didn't even happen during the civil war no it didn't at all yeah and so many people are so proud to see something like that happen but like what they don't understand is there is so much hatred and bloodshed that is just tied to that symbol mm-hmm. and the fact that so many people just continue to defend it and they like I said they don't listen to us like hey do you do you have any idea what that would mean to us mm-hmm. can you see what we're seeing from our end because it looks horrible yeah but they they don't care I think that's another thing too about like you were talking about looking at the history of it like people are like oh it's my roots like this flag is like my culture and my history like right look at your culture and your history and then decide if you still want to wave that flag around and if you do that's an issue exactly they're like it's my southern heritage and I'm like your southern heritage does not come from a flag no, not at that all. represents so much hatred, right? Or in just American say it's patriotic, like it's a flag that yeah. represents a different country. They tried to secede from literally, the like literally. that's not patriotic to the United States of America. Like, I know it's and it they just sound ridiculous. They just they do, and yeah. it always makes me laugh when I see people defending defending something like that because. I don't know. It was like a girl at my school wore the Confederate flag. Um, and I had to take it to the principal and because so many people brought it to me. Nobody else would go talk to the principal about it. Me, I had to go do it. And yet I had white people asking me if I had seen the Confederate flag sweatshirt, if I knew what was going on with that and that I should go talk to them. Because, you know, me being the black woman, it's my duty to go make sure that there aren't racists roaming the school and showing off their racism. <laughs> and I just- As if that shouldn't I, be everyone's duty. 
exactly but nobody wanted to do anything about it and I did bring it to the principal and we did talk about it and I thought the problem was solved and she started wearing it again and her boyfriend having the confederate flag on his truck outside of the school it was just people kept asking me like what they should do and I was like how about you go talk to them because I I tried and they didn't listen to me so what am I supposed to do about it I yeah. can't do this by myself, yet everybody loves to think that we can. They just and go, woo, yeah, go on. It, that's that's what it feels like. It's a lot of allyship just feels like they're cheering for you, but not actually doing anything to is, help. Is that an instance where you would say, because I've heard a lot of allies, and I've wondered about this myself too, is I never want to be talking over Black voices because I don't have these experiences as a white person. Um, so I think a lot of people sometimes get scared to go say something. And I'm not saying that's okay, because I think if you see right. someone wearing a Confederate flag in school, then I think that's an instance where anyone should go to admin and be like, hey, this isn't okay. This is happening. Yeah. Um, but do you think that's a time when it becomes like, I know you're not talking over me, you're talking with me, you're helping uplift my voice? Is it? What do you think? About yeah. That? Uh, and I have to like, ex- like, I feel like I try to explain that too, like right off the bat. Um, I very much am always just like, well, I need you to understand that this is not something that I can do on my own. This is something that does require some help. I can't be having just a cheerleading squad of a thousand and then be doing the work of a million. I I just, I can't be, I can't have that happen. So (laughs) people made the system, so it's not going to get fixed without the help. Exactly. Exactly. Like definitely start like push for, push for inclusivity, you know, like in, in government, push for that in your local governments, um, you know, like make sure that we're getting representation everywhere and not just, you know, in the big offices. And that's another huge thing is people need to like focus, um, kind of take their focus and put it local as well, because mm-hmm. what's going on with your local governments is just as important. Yeah. Because that is affecting you directly. And and government too, in a lot of ways, affects you more than the federal government. Exactly, exactly. Because it's, you know, it's right there. It's right in front of you. All of the rules that they're implementing is affecting you. They're affecting you. And so it's just crazy to me when it's like, oh, it's like, oh, no, you're um, chief of police. And I, I didn't even know any of these things until last year. I only knew who the mayor was and that was just because I saw it on a poster on the bus or something you know what I mean I just nobody really I feel like a lot of people our age aren't taking the time to kind of know like what's happening in our own cities yeah I agree with that I definitely woke up to a lot of things like that like oh who is the chief of police and stuff um yeah researched I think it was a wake-up call for a lot of young people and I hope it stays that way I hope I feel like what I have seen um, the last few months is it's starting to kind of, I don't want to say the Black Lives Matter movement's dwindling. I think the yeah social media presence of it, I think, and the white allyship, I think a lot of that is starting to kind of like go away. It's not, definitely. I don't want to say trendy, but like, it's not like on trend to post about it or anything anymore. So yeah, I, definitely. Like, I, I know that I definitely would post regularly about it all the time. And every now, now it's just kind of, 
every now and then because I mean to be fair I was unemployed and like just my company was like shut down for a little bit so we weren't in work and so you know very much outspoken just all of the time about everything that was on my mind I put it out there I um that's an another huge thing is that I don't ever want where I stand to be questioned. I don't want anybody to ever wonder about what I believe in. I don't want anybody to ever have any thought, you know, um, like wondering what it is that's on my mind about this situation and about this and this and this. I just want it to be very, very clear the things that I stand for. And I feel like that's another thing that so many people do is they try to be, you know, devil's advocate. They try to be that neutral person in the party. And it's like, well, being neutral doesn't help anything because it just makes it very much clear that, you know, you don't really care about what's going on. If you are, you know, hanging out with the people who are saying these things and then you turn around and hang out with the people who say these things and oh you you know you can't be friends with somebody oh like having that mentality where if you can't be friends with somebody because of their political beliefs blah 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 and it's like it's so much more than just a political belief you know like this is my this is my livelihood I'm talking about and if you're disagreeing with me saying that, you know, I find myself important and I find people like me important, then I'm, no, we can't be friends. Yeah, I would argue (laughs) that that's not a political belief anymore. That's a more Exactly. Exactly. But that, and, and that's why I hate, you know, calling it political because it, it shouldn't be, but that's exactly what our society has turned it into yeah. is, oh, your Black Lives Matter. So you stand on that side of the political spectrum. You know what I mean? Yeah. I it's definitely just... agree with that. I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of things that shouldn't be politicized just become political, like political issues way too quickly. Right. Like the pandemic instantly became like, oh, you wear a mask, you're on that side of the aisle. Exactly. Just the most basic things um, like climate change, feminism, Black Lives Matter, like all these things that I feel like they shouldn't be political because like what it boils down to is caring about. When you're stuck in your own ways and you just are comfortable that way, Mm -hmm. you're, you know, not keen on the idea of change. And so many of these people, society was built around them to cater to them it was built for them and the idea of dismantling the racist um sexist structure that we've created for ourselves is terrifying to them and that's why they shut down any sign of change they shut down any kind of disagreement that you know even slightly varies from theirs because they don't want it yeah. And that's yeah. our huge problem is people are too comfortable people are with how it's been. And I think from a journalism standpoint too, um, there's some issue with that because like the main goal of journalism is get the information out without showing bias. Um, right. And then with the Black Lives Matter movement problems that were happening with that then is the language that the news media is using is going to define people's opinions, whether they want to believe that that's happening or not. Exactly. So when the news is saying riots or when the majority of what you're seeing on news on the news is 
just people breaking glass, then you're just going to instantly right. say, well, that's bad. And so it became difficult for me even. I'm like, I'm 17 um, and I yeah. was working <laughs> in journalism. So like, it shouldn't have been, but then I was like, well, what do I do? Cause I want to talk about this, but is someone going to be like, oh, you're not neutral anymore. Um, right. And I ended up creating two podcasts with one of my friends that were on SoundCloud and we only got like 30 listens, <laughs> but we just sort of talked about George Floyd and everything that was going on. Um, and it honestly, it felt freeing to just be like, hey, this, these are the facts. This is what's going on. And by the way, it's bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I started with Redefy in October. And it's just, it's so fun because advocacy, advocacy journalism is very centered on like, show the facts and like, tell it how mm -hmm. it is. But then also here's how we can make it better. Exactly. So that's my goal in this. So for anyone listening who disagrees with something that has been said or if you maybe feels alienated by this or is upset with me as the interviewer for <laughs> agreeing with or showing my bias, um, that's kind of why I'm doing that. And it's, you know, it's important to have people like you around who are willing to take the time, sit down and listen with people and share it. You know, that's a that's a huge thing. And I honestly want to personally thank you for asking me to talk about this with you today you know um a lot of people don't so when they when they do it really means a lot thank you that means a lot for me to hear so just one more thing like to wrap it up um is there anything else you want to add about allyship or just like listening to the black people in your community um with allyship I feel like a lot of people are very censored in their allyship. Um, and I just feel like, you know, a lot of that might also have to do with, at least, you know, with a lot of the people that I know um, in the area, I feel like a lot of people are scared of kind of going out of their way to show where they stand and, you know, at, take the time to ask these questions and be more outspoken about it because of like their ties to, you know, whether somebody it's, it's somebody in their family, whether it's their mom, their dad, or it's their boyfriend, or maybe it's, I don't know, um, their aunt or uncle, grandparents. I just feel like um, the older generations in our country, like the older people of the generation in our country, they, I feel have a very strong influence over a lot of, a lot of people, especially people our age. Um, and I feel like a lot of people our age who have those people in our, their lives try very hard to censor themselves because, you know, grandma would disapprove, mom would disapprove. And um, with that being said, I, you know, I understand I have family members who are that way as well. Um, but that does not stop me from, you know, obviously speaking out and standing up for myself and for other people. And I just feel like if you are too ashamed to, you know, bring it up to your family, or maybe you are willing to just kind of go with the flow of what your family's saying and doing just because you don't want to start, start drama and you're stuck in your own ways and you're comfortable in your own ways, then truly I feel sad for those people who just aren't willing to make any 
lift a finger, you know, because God forbid the wrong person in their family sees it and starts drama at Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I just, I, I get, I'm really disappointed in the people who, you know, are so hell bent on keeping their routine the same way that it's always been because they don't want it to change. And I just feel like my advice to those people is just kind of go for it. If you are, you know, in any way feeling like you're agreeing that what we are, what, what's happening in our country right now is wrong. It's so important to speak up about it. It's so important to, you know, let people know that you're an ally. And if not, if you're not speaking up about it and you do want to be more, you know, quiet about it, then I, I really do at least hope that people are making the effort to, you know, initiate some sort of change. I hope that they're voting. I hope that they are educating themselves about everything that's been happening. And I hope that they are staying, you know, very much aware of their surroundings and what's happening in other places of our nation. If they're underdogs, cool, but I'm very, you know, it's sad to see so many people kind of twist their own views or, you know, stay in their comfort zone because they're scared of what their family members might think. And I just, all I have to say about that is what about the future of everybody else? a great way to wrap things up um, yeah thank you so much Danielle for having this conversation with me um, yeah thank, thank you who has listened <laughs>